Greetings, welcome, hey and to my peeps, sac passe. I'm Herdeen Mercier, your chief grief crusader and host of Redefining Grief Podcast. I want to welcome you to the Grief Crusaders community. Now, what does that mean? That just means you are an individual who is learning to redefine grief in your life so that you can go from grief to purpose. And how do we do that? We do that by following the grief anchors. Ah, yes, the grief anchors. And what are they? They are tell the truth about your heartache. Talk about that pain that your heart feels. They are connection, the power of community, as well as faith. Mm, Some of us, When it comes to faith, we really take a stand of not really wanting to talk about, to talk to God about our heartache. And baby, once you do all four of those things I'm talking about, tell the truth, talk about your heartache, find the right communities through connections, and then talk about the faith, you'll get to a place of restoration. What does restoration mean? Restoration is basically saying I'm at the original place of where God wants me to be with peace. I'm restored. Okay. Yes, that hell almost took me out. But baby, I found that in the end, my life still has purpose. You know, I say it all the time that in the midst of chaos, your life still has purpose. So you got to get from grief to purpose to activate your purpose for living. Can I just start off this next part by saying, how are you feeling? Like, really, how are you feeling with what's going on in today's world? I'm saddened by Mr. Floyd's life and how it ended. It just brung up so much grief for me. And so I want to teach you all the power of saying how you feel, not the mask of, oh, I'm great that you tell your coworkers. Really, you're not great. And so, see, feelings describe the heart. Feelings describe the heart. And when we acknowledge our feelings, we make room for healing. When you acknowledge your feelings, you make room for healing. Here is my truth. I feel sad. I feel angry. I feel troubled. I feel unsure of tomorrow. I feel a sense of loss. I feel paralyzed by the idea that the truth is the system has been broken for so long and we as a community of black queens, black kings, black princesses, and black prince are still experiencing the heartache and the pain from our ancestors. When will it stop? When will it stop? 
The truth is, it will not stop until white America tell the truth about the injustice of the world. Tell the truth about how their ancestors played a role in where we are today. When will it stop? When will it stop? It will stop when you decide that enough is enough. When I decide that enough is enough. And having hard conversations and calling people out. I'm willing to talk to anybody who's trying to understand my life through my lens and my skin. And if you're not trying to do that, I'm not willing to talk with you. When will it stop? See, let the grief anchors teach you a little something. It says, tell the truth because it's freedom. Talk about the heartache so that maybe you can have compassion. Find connection so that the community of people can help you out in understanding what's going on. If you ain't got a black friend and you want to talk to one, I'm available to have you see it through our lens and our prayers and what it's like. Compassion. If that's what's going to take for me to have you see and understand empathy, I'm willing to answer any question without any judgment. And then I need you all to anchor down and examine your heart and examine your faith and really understand what Jesus is about and what it means to love someone unconditionally. Because until you do, because until you do, getting to a place of restoration it's going to be extremely hard. That is my truth about how I feel. That is my truth about where my heart is. But I also got to say that I serve a mighty God. And in serving a mighty God, I know, I know, even if I'm, I don't see with my eyes, but the generations to come. We'll see our prayers that restoration is possible for this country. Today's episode is one that is raw and it's real. And literally we talk about all the grief anchors. Today's episode is emotionally hard because depth. Mm hmm. I'm talking about an amazing cop today. Depp was my work buddy. See, Sheriff Deputy Shannon Bennett is the cop I was able to have real honest, heart to heal questions and chats with him. This is my truth. I learned from our chats. I learned so much about the cop experience where I was able to now then have empathy to understand it 
He gave me the inside views of what cops experience and I'm able to have empathy because I was able to listen with the open heart and not judge. So until you're willing to sit at the table and understand my life through my skin and my eyes, you won't get it. Thank you, Deb, for teaching me that. See, Deb would also say to me, be careful on your home visits. He taught me to be vigilant. He taught me how to scope a house out before I even step out my car. He taught me all the things that I would never be able to understand because I don't live in that world of what it's like to be a cop and what calls he goes to and what he was able to do and how he put his life at risk. And so today I honor his life by talking to his brother who I've never met before, but I was so honored he said yes. I was so honored he said yes. So without further ado, I want to introduce my guests. Greetings, greetings, greetings. Welcome to the Redefining Grief podcast, Aaron. Thank you for saying yes. Thank you for the invitation. Ah, oh, this hurts. Yeah, this one's rough. Yeah, this hurts. And I got to take you back to the day that I, I found out. It was a Saturday morning, my normal routine that we do, grab our phones, stroll social media. And I saw a picture of, I know your brother as Depp. I'm like, oh, what did Depp do today, you know? Um, without reading the words. I just thought, oh, he probably did something just being his good heart. He did something for his school. Mm -hmm. as, remember, as usual. Yes. And I remember just sitting up and then I went to read and I'm like, wait, 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 wait. Did I read? Wait, 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 wait. I, like, I remember my brain could not comprehend what I was reading. Right. And I just remember dropping the phone, bawling, crying, and my husband is like, Herdine, what's wrong? What's wrong? What's wrong? I said, my work buddy, my work buddy. Mm. And that's how I knew. I knew him as Depp. And as a school social worker, he would help me on many cases. I would call him into my office. Just a good heart. I mean... Yeah. I can't explain the stuff he did for Christmas and his parties and bringing us, you know, gift cards, just an amazing soul. And so to read Rest in Peace. Yeah, it's surreal. That, that's, that's, that's a tag that's not supposed to be behind his name right now. Mm -hmm. Not right now. Mm -hmm. And then see COVID. Whoo, can you say, I, I thought I was getting out the bed, but I couldn't. Yeah. I just remember going back into a fetal position, texting my coworker, Monica, she's the school social worker there too. And did you get the news? And I'm like, she said, yes. And we just, we were no good the rest of the day. Yeah. Um, how are you doing? <laughs> Oh man, um, 
I've said it this way, and I think it's the best way that I can authentically and genuinely encapsulate my emotions. I've been alive 38 years by God's grace, and I don't know that there's been any season of my life that has presented this much challenge and difficulty. Uh, for me, um, it's like losing a part of your soul. It's like losing a part of your heart. A lot of people uh, may know or may not know me and Shannon were raised like twins. We we're only a year apart, literally. Uh, but we did everything together. And when I mean everything, like we talked every single day. Uh, there wasn't many days that went by that I wasn't getting a text from him or he wasn't getting a text from me like, yo, what's up? <laughs> you know? mm -hmm. um, so this, this, this has been extremely difficult. Um, yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't plan on sugarcoating it. It is probably the worst season I've ever experienced. The hardest loss, the greatest challenge, uh, in, in, in my life, in our life, my family, uh, my mother having now lost her second son. Uh, she lost our other brother, Donnie, um, 20 years earlier, uh, and to now lose another son. I don't know that, that there's a mother that I know is stronger than her to be able to handle that. Um, so yeah, there's a myriad of emotions and I'll let you kind of navigate our conversation because I could just go, <laughs> but I want to, I want to respect the framework that you have uh, laid out for us. You know, the frame, the framework is truth and let God lead. Mm. There is, there is no, I typically ask the question, what is your truth? Mm. <laughs> and so what is your truth in this season? I don't believe in any other truth than the absolute truth that comes from scripture. And that is, um, that's what's been holding me, my wife, my, my mother, uh, who's actually uh, a born again Christian. She grew up Catholic for about 75 years of her life and started coming to, uh, to our church. We had a chance to plant a church uh, in North Miami here in Miami Gardens. Um, and so we, we hold on to, we anchor into the word of God. And there's, there's a, a litany of scriptures that, that I can share that, I think have been truly um, encouraging for me, my wife, my mother, how I've been able to encourage my mother. Um, yeah, there's just, there's just so many emotions uh, that, that come with some, something of this magnitude, a tragedy such as this. Um, and so, yeah, li living out and leaning into the truth of God's word has been our sustenance. Now I can, I can drill down on that. I can break all that down if you want, um, mm -hmm. or I can, I can throw it back at you and you can ask even further, like, Hey, you know, what do you, what do you want to hear about this truth when it, when it comes to what's been anchoring me and my, my family? I want to hear your truth, not from my perspective, from yeah. your lens, this experience, okay. because okay. one of the things that I teach, um, about grief is that you can't police anyone's grief. Right. Right. You can't say it's right or wrong. All you can say is, I may not understand it, but I need to know how I can support you in this season. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And so yep. you have to define it for you. And, and I know you loved your brother, Shannon, and I know you all have other brothers and your mother is hurt. And I just remember that day in my despair. For me, I have a garden that I call my... Um, reflection garden mm -hmm. and I said God I'm hurting but I have to plant a seed and in planting a seed I know you're gonna bring a hard harvest out of this hurt and this pain and mm -hmm. 
that day I got up when I was finally able to get out of bed and just, I remember just crying in my garden. And I can't even tell you if I was shocked and hurt like this, like he was my work buddy. And I just kept thinking about the family, the family, the family, how was the family doing? Yeah. Um, and I remember planting watermelons mm. and I planted about six seeds and one sprouted till this day is in my garden. And every time as it develops and as it grows, and I know we're going to get to a day when I actually have a full blown watermelon, mm. it is just going to remind me of Shannon's life. Wow. That I don't know all the answers and maybe those are the things that are not going to sprout. Not all the seeds sprouted, but what I can say is that I trust God to bring a harvest to our heart. I trust God to bring a harvest to your family of understanding and wisdom. Cause oftentimes people think the harvest is the money, but Mm. the harvest may be the peace. Yeah. And so what is it like for you as a minister not even just as a minister, as a brother. Yeah. Man, I, I'll tell you, what's made it so difficult is the fact that my grief has been very much so public. Um, as a pastor, uh, I, I've, I've chosen a unorthodox route with which to grieve. Most people, and, and as you said it very well, you know, there's no way to police grief. You do it differently. Uh, and I did it the way I thought my brother would want me to do it. Uh, and so I just, here's the deal. We're, we're in the middle of a pandemic, a global pandemic. You know, I lose my, my brother, who is one of my closest best friends, um, to COVID-19. Um, I could not go see him. I could not be with him. He was isolated. I was kept from him. I would have been there in any other circumstance. Um, he wasn't supposed to go out like this. I mean, he was a 39-year-old, healthy young man. And so as me and him are texting before they sedated and intubated him, I- I'm taking for granted that he's, he's just going to make it through this. Um, and, and, and a lot of the different signs that he had thrown at me, like there's certain text messages he sent prior to that uh, where it seemed as if he kind of knew prophetically um, that he was at the end. You know, my life is soon over, bro. Um, heaven lasts always. And, you know, if, if I die, I want you to tell that story. That's the legacy I want you to tell. I supported my family. These are his last words to me as we're texting, as we typically do every day. And it's strange that the Lord like filtered that because I didn't really even see it until I went back and looked at my phone after he had passed away. Uh, and so, you know, imagine the pain that you felt and your coworkers felt and all of the, the impact that he had on the community, which rendered such a deep, dreadful pain now multiply that times a gazillion of a brother and a family that number one can't even be together when we're grieving i can't even hug my brothers as we're grieving i can't even i can't even hug my daughters because they live in a different house than me because they're from a prior marriage and so with social distancing precautions i can't even like hold my kids and console them about the death of their uncle who they had a immensely deep relationship with um I, and then I can't get the media to stop stirring up stuff. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it became a circus. And so now you got the, the, the Jeff Bell and the, the Sheriff Gregory situation. Mm-hmm. They are locking mm-hmm. horns. And this was a prior war mm-hmm. that we enlisted in 
without even enlisting. And we were the casualty of a war that we didn't sign up for. It's like, unfortunately, the union rep, who I have respect for, he was doing his job. I understand that. And being a, a BSO deputy sheriff um, for 10 years prior to me getting into full-time ministry, I understand how this works. And so he was presenting a case. Sadly, we hadn't even let the ink dry on the death certificate yet before he decided he wanted to publicize his his case and he hadn't even called our family to see if it was okay to use my brother's name to leverage a, a case that again he he was in his capacity to do so I, I would have just loved a phone call out of respect and courtesy to say hey just want to give you the heads up this is what's getting ready to go down mm -hmm. uh, and so that was that was difficult to swallow so we ended up kind of getting in the whirlwind of that 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 battle and then a week later you had the vitriol egregious nefarious ignorant words spoken by the former chief police of davy um mm -hmm. who in a very bigoted type way said what he said and i wouldn't i don't even want to quote it here because mm -hmm. i don't even want to rehash that type of venom or hate if i could say i mean that's mm -hmm. just it was heartless senseless and selfish um of him to even say the things he said and so our our family's trying to grieve here mm -hmm. we're trying to grieve we're in a pandemic we've lost our loved one it has garnered media attention widespread media attention the world is hearing about this and so now i'm having to filter myself and my wife was been has been exponential in helping me like literally taking my phone because I'll go google his name to find out who else found out about this and what are they saying I'll look up youtube videos of tributes and what you're seeing is 95% lavished love because he was mm -hmm. just that impactful in the community um he he loved people he 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 poured into his community he poured into his into his family uh so you got a lot of love but that you, you still had hate there were people that were commenting uh, under different posts and publications that don't like police because people just don't naturally they just naturally don't like police and you, you can understand because of the cultural context that we're in right now and the tension they just don't like police um and then you you now curate that with and, and i don't like homosexuals and so my brother being a an openly out unapologetically unashamed homosexual police there were comments of people that were happy and celebratory that a gay police was dead i'm reading this now this is my brother i defended my brother my entire life you got i fought for my brother i was a macho masculine more outgoing uh protective brother and he was a more timid laid back mm -hmm. feminine you know chill brother and so he was an easy target and i made sure no one touched my brother because that's how we were raised mm -hmm. and so my entire life i defended him and i felt like well dang i gotta defend him in his death too now Mm -hmm. But I, I refuse to comment. I refuse to give any credulity. I refuse to give any air or give any weight to the hate that was spewed out there about my brother, even with the the chief of police. Like the media was pressing down hard, trying to get a statement. Jaren, what you got to defend him. If you don't defend him, no one else will. And I wouldn't give any thought to it because I didn't want it to continue to get wind. So yeah. take that now, throw that in the pot of grief. And now add that to, I still got a church. Mm. I, it's, it's, it's 
Holy Week. It's Easter. It's Good Friday. Like the, the Super Bowl of, of, of church season is upon us. And my entire church is now in a tailspin of grief and crisis because their pastor is in a tailspin of grief and crisis. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so I'm trying to figure out how to manage my family, my grieving mother, who I still hear reverberating in my mind, the echoes of why again, God, why'd you do this again? Why again? Why not take me? Why'd you do this? again? She lost her second son. I had to give her that news. Mm -hmm. And so all of this is happening in a global pandemic. And, and, and I'm just the only thing I can, I can come up with in my mind to tell well-meaning people that think they can empathize is no, you don't get it. Mm -hmm. you, you don't, you don't get it. Yes. You may understand what it feels like to lose a loved one. Mm -hmm. Yes. You may understand what it feels like to have someone sick and die uh, unexpectedly. Mm -hmm. But I truly believe with all of my heart, except for Jesus, I'm out on the island by myself because no one can really say, Darren, I can truly empathize with you as to what it feels like to lose a brother who you talk to every single day from a, a disease that hit from a, a global pandemic mm -hmm. to the degree that you couldn't be with him and you can't have any kind of consolation from your family. So you're grieving alone. And then your brother's death has, again, garnered worldwide national attention. Like, who can say they really knows what that feels like? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. No, nobody can say, I get it. Mm -hmm. I get it. And, and, and again, you, you got your, your church that's in a tailspin. And so they're watching you grieve and, and they have an, an idea of, of what you should be doing and how you should be grieving or, or they're projecting on you mm -hmm. how you should grieve and what they think is best for you. And so I just went forward. I, I did what I knew my brother wanted me to do. I preached. Literally, he died Friday night. I just, I stayed up all night. I didn't sleep. I don't know. I don't know if I slept for 48 hours. All I, all I remember is getting up and going to preach Sunday morning because I felt like that was what my brother wanted me to do. Mm -hmm. And then I went to his uh, end of watch ceremony on that, that next Friday and preached Good Friday that same evening mm -hmm. and then preached Easter Sunday two days after that. Mm -hmm. And then I finally just got off the grid and said, okay, I'm, I, I need to rest. And so I went on a, a quasi bereavement uh, grief leave uh, where I started to try to get all the ducks in a row for him and, and, and the funeral and all the different things that come with that. Um, I'll, I'll tell you this, the, the way that God has loved me and my family through this has been by way of the church, mm -hmm. um, by way of the leadership of my church coming alongside of us. I, they, they have uh, deeply demonstrated the hands and feet of Jesus Christ. Mm -hmm by showing up to our house daily, making sure that we're eating, making sure that you know someone is there just to pray for us and with us, to check on us. Um, had it not been for the church, I'll be honest with you, I, I felt like I was sinking into a, a minor depression. Um, I, I felt like I was ready to just give up. I didn't want, I didn't want to do church anymore. I didn't want to, I didn't want to do ministry anymore. Um, I was angry at God. Uh, I, I felt like God, I felt like I could demand that God give me an answer. Like, God, I'm serving you well. Mm. And, 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 and you do this. Like, we prayed for my brother to come out of this. And you, I've seen you answer prayers. I've seen, I'm watching miracles happen. Literally, I'm seeing church members that me and my wife are praying for come out of COVID. Mm -hmm. And yeah, you couldn't spare my brother? I remember asking God in my backyard, you got your little quiet place. I got a gazebo in the backyard where I just reflect. And I'm, I'm, demand, I'm saying, God, you, 
you need to tell me that I'm doing this well because you said in your word that we ought to endure hardship as a good soldier. I need you, I want you right now to tell me face to face. I know Moses couldn't see you. No one's looked you in the eye and live, but I want to look you in the eye right now. I need you to tell me that I'm doing this well mm -hmm. as your son. I need to hear that from you. Otherwise, I'm done. I can't go no further. And it wasn't until hours later when I'm driving to the funeral home, I shared that with my wife in a very repentant, kind of reluctant. Like, you know, I was like, babe, I, I kind of had a, a bad tone with the Lord. And I shared what I said. And, and the Lord used her to speak to me. And he said, she said, well, babe, it's, it's very evident and obvious that the Lord believes that you're doing good because he wouldn't have chose you to suffer this way. He, he obviously considered you worthy to suffer. A lot of people don't have a, a really good theological framework of suffering mm -hmm. when it comes to scripture. Uh, mm -hmm. and, and they don't attach Christianity with suffering, not knowing that Christianity is actually synonymous to suffering. Mm -hmm. um, and a lot of us don't want to hear this statement with our name attached to it. Ready? Here it goes. Um, have you considered my servant, Darren? Remember, mm -hmm. The story of Job. Mm -hmm. Have you considered my servant Job? Are, are you living your life in such a way that is pleasing to God to the degree that in the supernatural, Satan comes and, and God gives Satan a certain measure of allowance. Yeah, he can't do any and everything he wants to do, but, but Satan does his thing and, and Satan could certainly you know, walk the earth like a, a lion seeking who he could devour. And he looks on and he says, Oh man, that that guy Darren, that that faithful preacher down there in North Miami, just planted a church. He's doing he's doing a work. Lord, I guarantee you, let me let me put something on him. Let me let me press him as hard as he's ever been pressed before. And and the Lord could have said one of two things. Ah, he ain't ready. But he said the honorable thing. You know what? Have you considered Darren? He's gonna rep me well in this season. And 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 I felt that so heavy in my heart. And it gave me courage. And then seeing the church come alongside me and love me and my wife the way they have. And then, and then I was reminded of a verse that the Lord gave me on March 30th prior to all this happening in, in the gazebo, in the backyard, during my reflection time. It's 2 Timothy 4, 5. It, it essentially says, I'll paraphrase it, uh, but one tradition says, um, keep a clear head about everything. Mm. Endure hardships. Do the work of an evangelist and fulfill your ministry. Those four imperatives, keep a clear head about everything, endure hardship, do the work of an evangelist, and fulfill your ministry. When I was about to quit, mm. that verse reverberated back into my heart and hit my mind. And I reread it and it made perfect sense why he gave it to me March 3rd, I mean, March 30th, because he knew what I was getting ready to step into on April 3rd. Mm. And so I had to, Keep a clear head. I couldn't lose my head about all the media's foolery and everything that was going on. Um, God told me to endure hardship. So effectively, he's saying, oh, you're going to go through some hardship. He was already warning me before it happened. Mm -hmm. Endure hardship, Darren. And in doing so, do the work of an evangelist. So the way you navigate this is going to make my name look glorious. The way you navigate, the way you point people back to me is going to make much of my name. That's, that's how you shine the light of an evangelist. That's how you do the work of an evangelist. You, when you suffer well, when you show some, somebody 
something about Jesus Christ that they, don't, they didn't know or couldn't fathom by way of your suffering, mm -hmm. when you show them what true joy looks like, like how in the heck are you doing this, Darren? Yeah. It ain't me. Mm. How were you able to get up and preach 48 hours after the death of your brother? It wasn't me. How were you able to preach on Good Friday after you had the end of watch ceremony? It wasn't me. How were you able to preach on Easter when you're going through grief and mourning? It was not me. It was the Holy Spirit in me. And my job was to simply make much of Jesus Christ. And in doing that, the clarion call is I'm going to fulfill my ministry. Yeah. You know, oftentimes one of my coaching programs are called Grief to Purpose. Mm. And what I've learned in my dark times where I've begged God, please just don't wake me up. Mm -hmm. Don't wake me up. I can't take another heartbreak. I can't take another pain. I can't take another bad phone call because right. life can change in one phone call. And what, oh, yeah. I, we know I, what I heard God tell me is in the midst of chaos, you still have purpose. Yeah. In yeah. the midst of chaos, you still have purpose. So Herdeen, and I'm pleading, well, God, what does that mean for my life? What does that mean? He says, in the midst of chaos, you still have to show up and help people heal their broken hearts yeah. by telling the truth about that heartache, yeah. by literally anchoring down, just anchoring down about truth, anchoring down about the connections in the community, anchoring down about the people who need. You talked about the church, how the church has literally surrounded you. Absolutely. Right. Through this process. And then you talk about faith. And I got to tell you, Darren, I struggled with faith in them dark times. Oh, yeah. And I question God. And what happens when I work with grievers? They often think they can't question God. Mm. And I say, well, he is my father. If I don't question him, he's the only one that can give me the answers. And he gives and you permission to question him. Yes. He says in Hebrews 4, you can come boldly before me because of what Christ did at the cross, because of the gospel, because of the good news of the gospel, the veil that separated us from him, from an eternal holy God, has now been torn. He is now God with us. The Holy Spirit is infused into us. And so we have an all-access VIP pass to the Savior. And we can go before him, and he can handle our hard questions. It's all over Scripture. Mm -hmm. If you read the Psalms, a third of the Psalms is literally, Lord, why? Lord, how come? Lord, I'm grieving but Lord, I trust you. Mm. The entire book of Habakkuk is literally that framework. Lord, in a season where they're going through grief and, and the, the prophet is just in utter disdain and he's disquieted and he's downcast. He's like, Lord, why? And Lord, how long? But Lord, I trust. And, and here's, here's what happened. The Lord responds to him mm -hmm. and he says, oh son, it's going to get worse. He, he told him what he didn't want to hear, but then he said, yeah, it'll get better. It'll get worse before it gets better, but it will get better. And you know Habakkuk's response was? He worshiped the Lord. That was his response. And, and that was the way I needed to respond. I think about David in 2 Samuel 12 and how he lost his son. His son was inflicted, um, and he was praying and fasting, face down on the floor, seven days, not eating. And his elders are just there interceding on his behalf. He catches news that the son dies. And so he gets up. He cleans himself off. He anoints himself. I love that verse because I like cologne. And so, you know, that, that can translate. And, you know, he puts a cologne on himself, right? And then, and then he goes to work. He goes immediately to the temple to worship God. And then he goes home and he has food. And his elders are, are literally like, wait a minute. 
we, we can't conceptualize what's happening right now. What are you doing? Like you were just fasting and grieving. Your son is gone. And, and now you get up and eat and worship. And David responds and says, what else am I supposed to do? The Lord's spoken. Mm -hmm. I, I, I can't bring my son to me, but I know I'm going to go to the son. I'll go to my son one day. And so I, I had to take that same response. I had to take that framework, that blueprint by David. And that was what I did. Even though I was angry at God, I didn't stop worshiping God. It was times I couldn't get, I couldn't even formulate the right words to pray. And so I'm, I'm asking my elders and those that are in my inner circle, hey, could you guys be praying for me? Because I can't even get the words out to pray. Yet I'm, I'm in God's presence. I'm listening to worship music. I'm crying to him. And I feel, I feel my heart grieves. I feel bad for those that don't have the hope that we have mm. in, in grief. I, I can anchor my pain into scripture and understanding a good theology of suffering. And I can, I can anchor my pain into a hope that's beyond what we see in our finite reality. And so that takes me to Romans 5. I hope I'm not preaching at you, but it takes me to Romans 5. It, you know, Romans 5, 1 through 5, that was another anchor verse for me. Um, and it just essentially talks about the hope that we have because of the gospel and what Jesus Christ accomplishes at the cross. And then it drills down and it talks about how we go through suffering. And through suffering, it creates in us perseverance. And through perseverance, Christ builds in us character. And through character, we have a hope. And our hope does not disappoint because of what Christ did at the cross by way of the Holy Spirit. And so guess what I told people? I said, look, I may have lost a brother, but I'm gaining character. Through this time of suffering and this grief and this pain, God is teaching me how to persevere. He's teaching me how to endure hardships. He's teaching me how to shine his light. And I'm gaining, he's, he's literally sanctifying me. I, I told a few of my elders, I said, guys, I'm not going to ever be the same after this. Mm -mm. And I didn't say that in a negative way. They thought, okay, gosh, we're going to lose our pastor. Oh my, mm -hmm. I said, no, 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 no. You don't understand. I'm not going to ever be the same. I lost my brother, but I'm gaining character. He's shifting something in me. Even my anointing, my, my ability to walk through grief, to help others seek out healing, because now I can look somebody in the eye. I can sit with them knee to knee, elbow to elbow, eye to eye, and say, I understand your pain. Mm -hmm. Because I've been through the most excruciating pain that, again, I still, to this I really believe, I'm convinced, no one, no one can say that to me but Christ mm -hmm. because of the uniqueness of the circumstance. Mm -hmm. But I can at least look them in the eye and say, look at what I've been through but God. But God. But God. You know, I have to tell you, Darren, that one of my favorite scriptures, and from a time, you know how God gives you your talents, you're born with them. I strongly believe that. But I always thought my talents and my gifts were leading me towards to becoming a funeral director. Oh, wow. And from the time I was little, a short version of it is my parents were going to a funeral and they said, well, you should stay home. I was six or seven. I would cry like you didn't give me ice cream, like you left me home from a field trip. Like I would boohoo cry mm. and I would, I, I would go to funerals of individuals I never met. Oh, wow. And it wasn't until three years ago, God revealed to me what he was doing throughout all those years. Mm. What he was doing is there's a scripture that says it is better to go to a house of mourning than it is to go to a, um, than it is to go to a house of feasting because death is yeah. the destiny of everyone and the living shall take it to heart. Amen. And I just had like a life review happen when I read that scripture. I said, Oh, 
OMG. Mm. I was going to these funerals to build character, like you said. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I yeah. was going through those funerals to understand, and I really mean this in my heart, a man would never put his hands on me. Mm. I saw mm. it happen. I learned the life lesson. Mm. I learned that my, I, my kids have to learn how to swim because I've been to a funeral of a baby and a little kid. Like I learned from the dead. Mm. He was shaping like, you. He was shaping me. I learned the importance of when I started dating a man, not a boy, a man. Right that it was very important that when I married him, that his family also loved me because I've been to funeral when there was discord. You could not- Yeah, the vision. The vision. You could not sit in the same row. So I wow. learned at the funeral, all those character things, baby. So the way that you see her, Dean Mercier, is everything that I learned through death. Wow, wow. So when you say about character building, I get it. Yeah, through suffering. Through mourning. Mm. But what's mm. happening is people aren't taught how to mourn. Right. People aren't taught how to grieve. And so I have been challenged by God, and this is my life calling, and in helping the world understand how to redefine grief and what it really means is that mm. in the midst of your hell, in the midst of your heartache, in the midst of your pain, you still have purpose. Right. It's pain on purpose. Woo! Like, literally, it, that's what it is. It, it's pain on purpose. Like, there's, there's no such thing as wasted pain. If the God that we know is true, according to Psalm 56, 8, if he bottles up our tears in a jar, because he's just that sentimental, how much more would he use the pain that he processes us through for his purpose? Mm -hmm. if, if the God that we know to be true does not allow one prayer to go unheard, and Revelations 8 tells us that, like, all of the prayers that have been prayed have been stored up, and in the end, they're going to be literally poured out upon the earth as a part of the wrath of God to those that are against God and have rejected God. And so there's prayers that you may pray right now that you think aren't being answered and they're being logged in eternity and they're going to be poured out. And so we have to have that type of perspective. Let me share something about perspective. Me and my wife, a lot of people don't know this, but and again, big shouts out to my wife. She's like my, my anchor. She's my roll dog, my ride or die. Like I, I can't imagine doing this thing called life without her um and she's a fellow icn she's haitian uh as well and so <laughs> i know you'd love to hear that oh um, yes and so so you know what kind of woman i got you know I, 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 listen the, listen i know she got wife and you know what i'm even gonna send her a wife and shirt for repping really well really yep, well yep. i was keeping your swag over there dripping <laughs> but um but no man me and my wife we, we believe, and we just, we talked about this. We have a lot of one-on-one -on -one conversations. We talk a lot. We communicate. And one of the things that we were talking to each other about was um, our, our ministry, our, our, the church that God has blessed us with, and, and the calling to suffer well for the sake of Christ. And, and how God, by his grace, listen, has, has balanced that. Because if you didn't sit me and Christine down, 
and ask us what we've been through, you never know because of the joy and the disposition of a peace that exudes us. But we've gone through trial upon, I'm talking about tragedy. Mm -hmm. Like almost every year, some sense of tragedy to where my, my wife's ex-mother-in-law house tragically burnt down uh, and lost her mother-in-law. My, so my, my stepkids are dealing and grieving with that issue. Uh, we lost one of our nieces who was like two or two, maybe three years old at the time, was extracted out of a car. Now, mind you, we had a special relationship with her because she lived with us. Mm. So she was like a daughter to us, right? And so she was extracted out of a car. She died. Um, we, we lost my father. Uh, I walked in on him. He was having uh, many strokes. Um, and it was just a, a catastrophic season for us. Uh, we've had friends that we've lost. I mean, the list goes on. And then you've got Shannon's situation. So we, we've dealt with immense and deep suffering. And I told my wife, I said, you know, I can't imagine having an obstreperous, pugnacious, argumentative, unsubservient flock to shepherd during this time. So imagine having a flock that is just argumentative, they complain about everything, and, and you're going through all of this suffering at the same time. No, no normal human being, lest your Jesus, would be able to handle that. But yet, we have the, shout out to Calvary Chapel, North Miami, we have the most amazing leaders, most gifted and talented, loving, kind-hearted, Christ-like, subservient, submissive, just amazing individuals that I get a chance to shepherd. We get the chance to shepherd. And I believe that that is a, a sense of God's grace upon us because God is saying, look, I'm, I'm going to call you to, as a couple, to suffer and to do it well, to endure hardship well. And it's going to be pain, but it's going to be on purpose, for purpose. And people are going to look on and, and see your strength and see me through you. But I'm going to give you the grace of a healthy church mm -hmm. to do it with. Because imagine if our church was unhealthy. Again, imagine if they were just literally argumentative, just clapping back at everything. You know what I mean? Like mm -hmm. it, it would be extremely, like pastoral ministry is hard already. Tell the truth. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? And, and that's what a healthy flock, right? But, but now compile that with you, you feel that one of your callings in life is to suffer well for the sake of Christ. Like we, we're convinced of that. Like we're not even going to explain that away. Like everything we've been through, we, we see it. We're, we're called by Christ and considered to suffer. We're worthy to suffer. And we, we don't look at that as a, as a death sentence. We look at that as a badge of honor. That's Thank you, good. God, that you look at us and you see us and have a confidence in us to suffer well for your sake because we have a theology of suffering. We understand the framework of it as Christians. But he blesses us and he shows his grace and mercy by giving us a healthy, listen, my church don't need me to carry on. Like I, when I took that 10 days off, like they just kept it moving. Like, mm -hmm. like I, I came back like, man, I'm, I'm like a proud father here. Like, Y'all just kept it going. I mean, we got some amazing leaders, and, and they, they love Jesus. And that just makes it so much sweeter. And so that's just, again, perspective. I say that to say perspective. You can look at it from the, the cup half empty position, mm -hmm. but, but we choose to look at it from, the, like, man, we're called to suffer, but God, you gave us a great church. You gave us a great church and you gave us a great community of people that are helping navigate us and walk us through this crisis. I don't believe we could have made it through this without Calvary Chapel North Miami and the elders and the deacons and, the, and just the leaders and the, the, those that loved us through this. And you know what I hear you saying? That community. Community. Because that community, because oftentimes grievers think 
I got to go grieve in a corner by ourselves. And right. that literally has to do with childhood. I've talked about it time and time again. When you, what you crying for as a child, go mm -hmm. to your room and cry. So we've learned and been programmed. You're wired that way. You're wired that way. So now we're changing the script where we say, you know what, it's okay to be emotional. And it doesn't mean that you're weak. It means right. that you're real. And so right. what I gather from this is that though you have the community, though you have all the wife, the love and showing her wife it in, and though you have all the wife it in was built out of pain. Yeah. Because I forgot as a wife to put on my mask. My husband is amazing. Dr. Jameson Mercier is the love of my life. And I say yeah. it all the time. But I asked for a divorce because I forgot who I was. Mm. Do you understand? Mm. And so he had to check me and say, baby, we just may need to go see a counselor because I don't see what... And there was literally nothing wrong. But the, what was wrong was I lost myself behind the title of being a wife. Mm. I lost myself behind the title of being a mom. Wow. That one day I looked in the mirror and I couldn't even tell you my favorite color. Wow. wow. And so you could have lost yourself oh, yeah. in the title of being a pastor, but because oh, yeah. you have community and yeah. you have a good wife and you have people surrounding, surrounding you, you were able to say, I can take a sabbatical. Mm-hmm. And everything still functions. In a season where I couldn't even be around my family. Whew. So that, that, that adds an extra dose of en uh, emphasis on the need for community, mm -hmm. the body of Christ. Again, I could not be, like, I got four other brothers that are grieving, one in California, one in Stanford, Connecticut, one in uh, New Jersey, three other brothers, rather, um, and, and I couldn't be with either one of them to grieve with them. We're having FaceTime crying sessions. Like, that's not normal. You don't grieve that way. Mm -hmm. And so it was vitally important that the church stepped in to be for me what I wanted my brothers to be. Like, I can remember crying to my brother, please come, please just try to make it. But he, they, they couldn't. They couldn't get here. Like, at that point, we were in the thick of the pandemic. There was nothing moving. Mm -mm. Mm -mm. And so imagine that. And now seeing the church step in, the body of Christ step in, and love us through this, that man, we need community, but we also need to know we're not, we're not rooted in our titles, we're rooted in our sonship or our daughtership. So we have to remind ourselves, we are a son and daughter of the most high. We need to preach that to ourselves daily. We need to remind ourselves of the gospel daily and take ourselves off trial mm -hmm. because every day people will try to put you back in that courtroom Mm -hmm. with the title and the position that you hold and hold you to a standard that, that Christ has already eradicated. Mm -hmm. And so what, what helps me as a pastor to do this thing we call at North Miami gospel chill, mm -hmm. which is just, we do our part. God does his part. And we just chill in the sweet spot between God's sovereignty and man's responsibility. What, what, what gives me that swagger is knowing that I'm a son before I'm a, I'm a husband. I'm a son before I'm a pastor. I'm a son before I'm a, a community outreach actor. I'm a son before I'm any of these things. Even a future author, I'm going to share that in a few. I'm, I'm yeah, going to give you an exclusive that no one else has heard yet, and you're going to hear it first. But, but all of these things that God is putting on my plate, and I take it with, with great honor, but I'm a son first. 
Mm-hmm. And, and, and you can take all of those things from me, God, and I'm still going to be a son because my identity is rooted in who I am and not what I do. Come on now. You don't have me start running around this house, Jesus. <laughs> because this is so good. And a lot of people are having, because you know, when you experience grief, it's not just the death of someone, the loss of a job, divorce, any type of loss you experience grief and you see it all the time with your parishioners. But the truth of the matter is, Darren, what I want to say is that your loss, your grief, even thinking about, you know, COVID, you know, the crisis, crisis in the center of it all. Mm -hmm. He is in the center of it all. And, and let's talk about what, what you just alluded to and I was going to get into, so I know God is all up in this, <laughs> is about the book. Yeah. You know, what does your grief to purpose look like? Yeah. Well, one of the things that, that I was able to do this past week and, and having time to just decompress, and again, I, I thank God for leadership that, that would look me in the eye and say, Darren, I know you had bereavement leave but I don't, I don't know that you're, you're well, you know, and, and, and that is that, that alone attests for uh, just the accountability. And again, the community to be able to have someone to be able to know you enough that does life with you and is a shepherd to you and your family that can look you in the eye and say, I think you need another week. I just, I just, I'm hearing you. I'm, I'm, I'm sensing that you need another week just to be night, like just veg out, sit in your gazebo all day, sleep in, just don't think about church, don't get on social media, unplug from everything and just be. And so in that time period, I was able to write. Um, and, and I just, I told our story, our, as in me and Shannon, my ride or die, bad boys for life, I'm my brother's keeper. Uh, and that's the title of the book. Um, and that was extremely therapeutic for me. Like I finished the book in seven days. Woo! And, and, and I'm talking 14,000 words, 37 pages of regular computer, you know, uh, on, on Times Roman 14 font. And so that'll probably equate, depending on the font and the way they edit it, to maybe 120-something pages. You know, it's five chapters, two dedication, uh, I mean, two bonus uh, chapters. Uh, but I was able to do that by way of just relaxing. And, and, and again, it was therapeutic. It, I was able to get what was in the basement out of the basement. Good. Like all the pain and the grief and the frustration and even the anger, I was able to just put it all on paper. Um, and, and I believe that God has given me a story that's going to reach the masses and, and really cross cultural guidelines. Because again, my brother was an openly out, unapologetic homosexual. I'm a conservative evangelical preacher. And so the premise of the book is exactly that. It is how love filled the gap between a openly out homosexual police officer and a conservative evangelical preacher. Because most people would say, how did you guys even get along? Like mm-hmm. you guys were best friends. You talked every single day, yet we know that it's a taboo when it comes to homosexuality in the church and so forth. Mm-hmm. And Shannon surprisingly to most people would tell you oh wait a minute no 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 no. yeah i'm gay but i believe in jesus <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you, like he, he'll mm-hmm. bust out a worship song in the hallway you know what i mean you know mm-hmm. you, you work mm-hmm. with him like like if he didn't tell you he was homosexual 
you oh he's just a normal Christian man that's doing anthropology in the community like the, you know the outreach that he, and so he, he's this guy that that says he believes and loves Jesus Christ but he had cognitive dissonance because he believed in Jesus he just had a problem believing Jesus Ooh. and so he he could not so the cognitive dissonance came in where he couldn't reconcile his belief in Jesus and his love for Jesus yet what Jesus' word says about what he's feeling on the inside. Mm -hmm. And so the book kind of takes you on a journey of how he and I were able to love one another through that, how me as a conservative, and when I say conservative, like I am biblically orthodox. Like I believe the Bible is the absolute true word of God. We don't bend it. We don't twist it. It's from page to page, cover to cover, Jesus' word. It's absolute truth. It's an error. It's infallible. Um, and Shannon would say, I, I just don't understand, help me understand that. But initially we had a lot of tension and there was a chasm built because as a younger Christian, I was zealous for the word and insensitive to my brother's heart. Mm. And so I, I, I declined on our relationship. He would invite me to different spaces and contexts where he would go. And because I was the super Christian, I would, I would punt on those opportunities and I would give him the highs and, and, and kind of stiff arm him and it hurt him. And I would try to beat him over the head with scripture to try to fix him. Mm -hmm. And the reality is, I was I was doing it all wrong, and I and I and I actually go through a confession in the book, admitting that um, I was wrong, and I started to model the heart of Jesus, mm. who intentionally went to contexts and spaces that were unfit for Christ to go to. He went to Samaria. He had a conversation with the woman at the well. He he talked, he, he ate with the tax collectors and the sinners and he got a lot of flack for that. And that was what Jesus did. And I'm like, what am I doing? My brother's inviting me to his house parties and I'm saying, no, what am I doing? No, I'm going. And so I started to show up to everything he invited me to. And he had some, like, he was notorious for having great parties. Yes. So he had house parties and pool parties and 80 to 90% of the, the, the population that was there was, was gay of the LGBT uh, persuasion. And I would go, and guess what I did? I made myself the hospitality committee. I would stand at the door, hug people on the way in, greet them, and just tell them, welcome to Chateau de Chenandra. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. And I remember getting a text from him the next day after I would go to these things, and he would send me screenshots of his friends saying, we have never felt that much love from such a handsome, I might add, but... Mm -hmm. Preacher. So they were saying, your brother's handsome. He hugged me, but he's a pastor. That's not normal. <laughs> like, they've never experienced that. Uh -huh. You know what I'm saying? And so my brother was just so grateful for the way I loved his friends. It showed him how much I loved him. And that opened the door for us to start having hard, honest conversations about the faith, about scripture. We would agree to disagree, but, but I got a chance to be able to share the gospel with him comprehensively. And he always constantly searched for light. He was always looking for understanding. He was always like, I don't know that anyone that was damned to darkness would want to continue to seek out light the way Shannon was seeking out light. Mm -hmm. And he would, always, he would always end his text messages with the prodigal son. Ooh. And so there's a, there's a portion in the book where I actually, and I'm not going to get into it now. You got to read it. But I actually kind of walk through where I believe Shannon is spending eternity because most people would say, oh, he's gay. He's gay. You know where he's going. And sadly, here's what, here's what I've had. I've had people in my public grief, and this is, this is a good teaser for the book, so you know, this, this might be good. But in my grief, I've had people, my, my conservative brothers, saying to me, Darren, I have yet to hear you take a stand. 
regarding your brother's lifestyle. I've heard you preach, I've heard you grieve, but you've not said anything about your brother's lifestyle and where it could lead someone and so forth and so on. And, and then you got people on the other side, I'm getting emails about, well, Darren, I, I have yet to hear you say, I'll see you in heaven, bro. Like we need to hear you say that he's gonna be in heaven. Now, here's the thing, I don't, I don't take a position in the book and unless someone sits down with me knee to knee, eye to eye, for me to tell them where, where I believe he's at, uh, because it's such a nuanced situation, because there's so many theological implications to my brother's walk that I can't publicly say where he's at because it's going to put me in a position that's to be a sitting duck for a lambaster of criticism mm -hmm. from both sides. Mm -hmm. But I will tell you, if you take me to coffee and I can explain to you the nuances, and some of those things are, there's, a, there's this guy in Luke 23, he was a thief on the cross. Mm -hmm. He lived a life that was antithetical to Jesus, but yet when he got to the cross, he knew enough about Jesus to where he was able to cry out to Jesus in those last moments. Mm -hmm. and, I, and, I, and I posed a question in that chapter. How did he know that he was next to Jesus? Was somebody spending conversations mm -hmm. with him? Was there somebody texting him scripture day to day? Was he seeking, was he seeking out light? Or, or was the prodigal son, was he really on his way back home? Or was the prodigal Shannon on his way back home? And maybe he hit every nightclub on the way home, but was he on his way back home? And was him getting home, you actually taking him from this earth, God? Like, I'm asking, I'm asking these questions. It's, it's the chapter's called My Psalm. And all I'm doing is, as a pastor, I'm pouring my heart out. And like you said, we think we can't ask God questions. I'm asking him a litany of hard questions that most people wouldn't think a pastor would ask. Come on now. And, and so I'm inviting you into my deepest grief trying to figure out what happened with my brother. Was he prodigal? Did he have a thief on the cross moment? Like, what, where is he in eternity? And I'm trying to tease that out in my mind. And I'm, I'm not inviting you to take a position. I'm inviting you to lament with me. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Don't force me. Don't, don't push me into a position. Uh -uh. Lament and grieve with me. And let's leave the rest to God. Because here's the deal. I can create, and I end the chapter with this statement. I can create a theological position philosophically to quote unquote, theolo theologize my brother into heaven because I'm that good with words, but I don't rest on that. I rest on God's sovereign grace to predetermine wherever he wants to send my brother from eternity past that his outcome is good and just. But I do know this, that my brother spent five isolated days without being sedated, mm -hmm. five days by himself. And he was getting scripture sent to him by way of my wife and me. And I told him to read Psalm 91 and he affirmed it. He gave me the heart emoji. And so I'm just trusting. I have a hope that I can't theologize him into heaven, but I know a God that can reach him way better than my ability to theologize him into heaven. And I will say this, and I will say this, Derek. In the short time I had to spend with depth, he had a heart of gold. Yeah, yeah. A heart of gold. And I remember one time us sitting there and we're having lunch. And I was like, Deb, how you do this job? I don't like guns. Like, I really just don't like guns. And he said, you know, it's a hard job, but I was called to it. And then he said, well, I feel like I'm the better person. And this is a quote. I'm the better person to take this job because I have no kids. Um, and I'm willing to take my life, take a bullet for the kids. If anybody should ever intrude or enter our school, that's just to show his heart. This is just, and, and we, we could talk for hours. 
So you just you just confirmed a quote, the same exact quote I shared on, on Hope Alive uh, for the COVID-19 memorial. We, we did a, uh, a Broward slash Dade memorial for all those that died in Broward and Dade. And I, I had the honor to speak on my brother's behalf. And I had a five to six minute slot to share. And one of the things that I shared was that memory and that moment, I'm walking through Deerfield Beach Elementary School with my brother. Uh -huh. And the kids are running up to him like he's literally their hero. And instead of him taking any credit, he's pointing him to me like, well, this is my brother right here. Look at Pastor Darren, mm -hmm. right? Just selflessly just deflecting all of the credit and putting mm -hmm. it on me like, this is my brother. He's a pastor. He's a hero. And, and then he looked me in the eye with this tense moment we had. It just, it, it, everything stopped. And he said, Darren, I'll, I will die for these kids. You got it. And everybody, you know this. And I said, and everybody at Deerfield Beach Elementary School, everybody at Lauderdale X Middle School, all the staff, all the faculty knew that they were safe under the watch of Deputy Bennett because he would sacrifice his life. That's who my brother was. And that's what you're gonna, that's what you're gonna see in this book. You're gonna see our life. You're gonna see the autobiography of the life of these brothers who bonded and who had a love that was genuine, that filled the chasm of their differences. Listen, I can love you and, and not live like you, mm -hmm. but I can still love you. And that was us. And that's what you're gonna see. And, and you're gonna see the, the last chapter is his plea. And it's literally gonna be, well, it's, it's called the plea. And it, it, I kind of just almost gave it away, but it's literally me sharing words that you would, as you read it, it's almost like reading a proverb. Like mm -hmm. you read through the proverbs, it, it's, it's lessons that have been learned and, and just pleas that come from our heart. Um, and and you're, as you read it, if you know Shannon, uh -huh. It's going to pierce you because it's going to sound like, it, like you're going to ask yourself, wait, did Shannon write this before he died? Like, is this his written will? Is this his living will? Is this the heart of God? Like, is this God's word? Mm -hmm. Darren, is this you? Like, who is it? And I, and I leave you with a cliffhanger and I say, those that know us know who it came from. Yeah. And that's how we end the book. And I will tell you in the end, love always wins. Yeah. Yeah. In the and end. I, actually, I, share, I share a portion of that too. Like how, how love really wins. Uh -huh. How love truly wins, but it's it's gonna be a it's I believe it's gonna help heal people that come from the LGBTQ community uh, mm -hmm. that have been that have felt condemnation from the church, mm -hmm. and and I'll be the first to admit the church has not done the best job in loving people from that disposition of life. Um, mm -hmm. But it's also gonna help people from the Christian community, my fellow conservatives, to to learn how to love well, not. Mm -hmm not bend the Bible, not to lean and twist and try to change scripture to accommodate culture, but I do believe that we should bend and stretch ourselves into uncomfortable context so that we can show how to love others in a culture that's not necessarily like ours. Yeah. That's what we're called to do. Yep. I and I opened it. the book up with a, with a chapter that basically talks about my grief, like the name, the, the, the first chapter is you, you don't get it. And it just kind of rolls out the tail of the tape, like moment by moment, what I felt from the time he went into the hospital to the time he died and then weeks after that. So you're, you're really gonna be brought into my grief, me and Shannon's bond growing up, um, our bond as adults, how God used true love to fill that chasm of our differences, um, just the, the complete juxtaposition of life. Um, so you're getting it first and, and we're believing by God's grace uh, and I want you to pray for me, pray for our team. Uh, we're looking for an agent now uh, I've talked to an established author. She truly believes after hearing the concept without even reading the content that it's going to be uh, something that's going to reach a broad and mass audience. This thing could be bigger than what we ever thought. And the hope is for healing to take place, 
but also to keep Shannon's legacy alive. Yeah, and he he was an amazing soul. And, and I'm so honored you say yes to this. I know we're gonna help heal so many people from this heart to heart chat. Yeah. Thank you for coming on the grief mic. Now, before I Thank let you, you go, um, I often ask three questions. And the very first question is, what have you learned about yourself since redefining grief for yourself? Oh, wow. I learned that I'm not Superman. Mm. I'm not Superman, that, that I need people around me because I could easily try to get on an island all by myself, like you said, you know, um, and that's usually my, my default, like mm -hmm. get alone. Mm -hmm. And I learned that, um, that I, need, I need community always and until eternity. And in eternity, we're going to spend in community. Yes, <laughs> we're that's true. Together. Yes, that's true. And if today was your last day and you had five words or less to say, what would it be? Mm. Delight solely in the Lord. Mm. My, my, on my epitaph, when I die, on my arm right here, there's a saying that God gave me. This life renders no greater reward than to delight solely in the Lord. And so everything we are, all the clout that we chase, all the merits that we try to stack up on our trophy case mean nothing. The greatest reward in this life is to enjoy Jesus, to be satisfied in Jesus, to see him, to savor him as supremely valuable, to treasure him beyond everything that vies for your affections and your flesh daily. Delight solely in the Lord. Mm. Psalm 37. And and the last thing, I, I believe I have Whitney Houston voice, but, you know, my family members tell me I don't. <laughs> and I love to sing. And so during your dark days, what song gets you through? Oh, wow. Wow. During my dark days, what song gets me through? There's a song from Hillsong, Christ Alone, Cornerstone. Uh, and then there's another song from Sovereign Grace, um, in Christ alone, my hope is found. He is my light, my strength, my song. This cornerstone, this solid ground, firm through the fiercest, uh, I forget the words, but um, any, any song that, that helps me think through the gospel is, uh, is, where, I, is where I laid the anchor. Mm. Thank you so much, Darren, for being on the green Thank you for having me on the show. Thank you, thank you. I'm truly honored. I'm truly honored. Pleasure is all mine, sister. Thank you. Thank you, Pastor Darren Bennett. You are a son. You are a husband. You are a father. You are a family man. And we honor you. Thank you for your honesty. Thank you for speaking your truth on the grief mic. Thank you for living out your life calling and still saying in the midst of it all, your life still has purpose. I know your heart is broken. I know your family hearts are broken. I know Depp's partner heart is broken. And so I will continue to keep you all in prayers. And I'm here for you. I'm ready to serve in any capacity that you need me. Welcome to the Grief Crusaders community. Thank you for helping heal our hearts through our Heart to Heal chat. 